Why is Good Friday good? Good Friday is good because the price we couldn't pay got paid and the stain we couldn't clean got clean. Good Friday is good because the world was without hope, but the Lamb was without blemish. Good Friday is good because the worst thing that could ever happen was simultaneously the best thing that would ever happen. Good Friday is good because on that cross, on that day, the great shepherd of the sheep walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. Good Friday is good because even though the cross isn't pretty, it's beautiful. Good Friday is good because if we have a king who would rather die for his enemies than kill them, Good Friday is good because I am not good, but he is. Good Friday is good because Friday is not the end of the story. Hey, I thought I was going to go for round two. I was written ready. Is everybody doing okay tonight? I think I did pretty well not saying good morning, right? That was the big temptation as everybody walked in. Uh, tonight, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We'll read a good bit of verses from there. We're going to have it for you on the screens as well. But we'll be there in just a moment. I wanted to take the time to uh, really walk us through the story. Walk us through the moments, the last moments that Jesus had here on earth and exactly what that video said why is good friday good and a small little caveat uh, we do have one of the kids rooms available if you feel like you need to slip out or something like that uh, the service is streaming back there as well just that way you can stay connected through that time too but uh, as we dive in today matthew chapter 27 and as i mentioned earlier with communion on thursday night is what we call maldi thursdays and the Sunday before, we had Palm Sunday, right? And we saw how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And the people were uh, raving about that He is King. The King has come. Hosanna in the highest, right? Son of David. They were making all of these claims about who Jesus was. And laying the palm trees as the donkey, Jesus rode in on the donkey or the colt. And he, they praised Him. And then on Thursday... We see that Jesus is getting near to the end of his life and he pulls his closest disciples together and he has a meal with them. They're celebrating what's called the Passover. And as they're celebrating the Passover, he walks them through the new covenant. Maudi in Latin means mandate and he gives them this mandate. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he gives us this command of going, love is the key. And he gives them the picture and he's going, you know, Love is the motivation for what you're getting ready to see me go through. And then on Thursday night, he goes into the garden and Jesus begins to pray. And I don't know if you've prayed all night before, but I would be pretty tired, right? That we see this in the disciples because Jesus goes out to pray and then he comes back to the disciples and they're asleep. They're falling asleep because you imagine Jesus, he's getting ready to go through probably the biggest uh, piece of his human life, right? His human existence. He was in all of this anguish. And he comes back to the disciples and they're falling asleep, right? I love watching the disciples because they help me feel a little bit better sometimes about me falling asleep at night trying to pray longer, right? And so we, they're all there. Jesus is praying. He's going to the wee hours of the morning and Jesus keeps waking them up going, can you not pray with me any longer so that you won't give into temptation? And we get this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to picture that you're there with Jesus. And that you can, it's up on this hill and it overlooks Jerusalem. And so he can see Jerusalem. He can see where he's getting ready to go. And, and all of a sudden his humanity becomes heavy because he knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. So he begins to pray in anguish. The Bible describes he's in so much, uh, he's in so much anguish that, that blood begins to come literally from his forehead. That's how much anguish that he has. And he even prays to God and he says, God, if you can take this cup from me, take this cup. And the cup represents God's wrath of what he's getting ready to go through. And he's saying, can you take this cup from me? And then he says these famous words that I think speak to you and speak to me. Knowing he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says, Lord, your will be done, not my will. Right. He humbles himself, as Philippians chapter two says, and says, I'm going to humble myself to the point of obedience to death on the cross. And he says, you know what, God, and everything within my human nature is telling me not to do this. Right. It's pulling me in anguish. But he's saying, God, I want to do your will more than my own desires. And I think that speaks pretty big for you and I today as we think about that, right? As we begin to process everything that God is going through. And then as Jesus gets into the wee hours of the morning, all of a sudden we hear the Roman soldiers coming out of the darkness through the fog. They're coming with their swords ready, with their chains out, and they're ready to arrest Jesus. And guess who's leading the charge? This man named Judas. This is who Jesus just got done washing his feet. He poured his life into Judas for three years. The whole time, I mean, Jesus, he knows everything, right? For all of humanity, he knew Judas was going to betray him, yet he still washed his feet, knowing hours later he was going to betray him. And Jesus, out of love for humanity, pours into Judas and Judas here he comes leading the charge and Judas full of envy for money betrayed Jesus and came and kissed him on the cheek to signify this is actually Jesus and I think it's important for you and I to realize that the Roman soldiers needed someone to point Jesus out he wasn't this huge political leader that everybody knew that he was standing up on the hill, right? The Roman soldiers were going, hey, there's this guy, this preacher who's doing miracles out on the way. And so they find Judas to go and to kiss Jesus on the cheek. And this is where it gets really good. You guys ready for this? This is where it gets real good because we see that Jesus comes and Jesus is almost upset that they have come with swords and chains to chain him up. In fact, Peter, being a, a, the, the one who's ready to go, like Peter's the, the friend that you have that has your back no matter what, even if it's like, hey, th this is about to go down, they're like, yeah, let's do it. How, where we got to go, right? Like Peter, he pulls his swords out and cuts a soldier's ear off. Can you imagine that? And he cuts this soldier's ear off. And Jesus goes, Peter, stop. This is not what we're doing. And in fact, he looks at the Roman soldiers and go, why are you coming with swords and chains? I volunteered to come. This is the reason why I came. You don't have to chain me up. I'm using you to accomplish the will of God. Right? And he gives us this picture of this divine volunteering that Jesus has come to make this happen. And as he's carried away. And he, now Jesus is carried away to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate and he have this conversation. And in fact, if you read Matthew, it's pretty incredible. He tries to convince Jesus not to go through with this. He's like, Jesus, you're innocent. Will you speak up for yourself? Will you just you you're my hand? I don't want my hands to be dirty of this because you're an innocent man. He tries over and over again to set Jesus free and he goes out. Right. 
And he begins to argue almost with Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, if you don't say something, we're going to have to crucify you. I'm going to have to send you to the cross. And this is what Jesus says. And this is so good. In John chapter 19, it says, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. The whole time Jesus is going, I'm in control of this. It is my will. I have come for this very reason. And I think Good Friday is also a good reminder for you and I that even when life is incredibly overwhelming, God is still in control. Even when we're facing, facing situations and moments in life as we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is still in control, right? Like Jesus is still on the throne. He is not allowing any of this to happen. In fact, he looks at Peter when he's arrested and goes, I could call on my father and legions of angels would come and wipe all of y'all out in a moment. He's like, but this is the very reason why I've come. To set the captive free. In fact, when he first comes on the scene in John chapter 1, we see John the Baptist stand up and says, hold the phone. Here comes the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, right? He declares who Jesus is. And here comes Jesus in this moment. Everything from an earthly perspective, they're trying to free him to not go through this. Many times, Peter pulls Jesus to the side and goes, Jesus, this is not safe. What are we doing here, right? And Jesus is going, get behind me, Satan. This is the very reason why I've come. Even though from an earthly perspective, all this looks like it's death and destruction. It looks like evil is going to conquer everything. Jesus gives us little hints and pieces all throughout this of him going, no, this is the will of God. This is, in fact, why I have come. And we see this moment where and then Pontius Pilate, he, there's this moment in Passover every year where they give the Jewish people a gift, where they release a prisoner. And so they have these two prisoners. Jesus is standing here on one side, right? And then you have this other uh, man who is a known criminal. His name is Barabbas. He's standing on the other side. And he wants to, them to free Jesus. He comes out and makes a case. This man is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. And the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Jesus, that's not who we want. Crucify him, right? And in fact, Pontius Pilate's wife comes out. She had a dream of saying, this man's innocent. You, you don't need to go through with this. I had a dream about him. And so he, Pontius Pilate goes out to the crowd and he says, my hands are clean of this. If this is what you want, right? The very same people. Who were just laying palm trees down going Hosanna in the highest. All of a sudden the crowd turned. The, the, uh, the world around them turned against Jesus. And they turned against him in this very moment. Right? And so Jesus comes. And they arrest Jesus. And Pontius Pilate looks at Barabbas. And he goes free. Can you imagine being Barabbas? A known criminal. All of a sudden, Jesus, they choose him. And now I'm set free and I'm walking through the crowd. Can you imagine? But the crazy thing is, that is a picture of the gospel. You and I are known, known offenders of the holiness of God. We have rebelled against God. We have been disobedient to him. And that sin is called separation from us. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll take his place. I'll take his place. And all of a sudden we're set free because of what Jesus has done for us. And now this is where we pick up in the picture where Jesus is then arrested. And there's this one verse in the Bible that says Jesus was flogged. 
And this is an intense scene where he was whipped and beaten beyond almost recognition. And they took this crown of thorns and they shoved it on his head to mock him because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And they shoved it on his forehead. And they began to spit on him and to slap him across the face and to mock him all throughout of this scene, all throughout of this picture. And this is all before he has to carry his cross up the mountain to be executed. And we see this. This is where we pick up here in Matthew chapter 27. Everybody still okay? Still leaning in? Here in Matthew 27. Thank you, Nick. Verse 32, it says this. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he could not he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there and over his head. They put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. I love this because this is a moment where they're trying to get Jesus to prove that he is God. And I believe they just kind of had short amnesia, right? He just did all of these miracles back to back to back. Born of a virgin, right? Prophecies over 700 years ago in Isaiah 53 that we just saw that we read today that prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And I think even today, right, we hear moments like this. If God would just do this, then I would believe in him. If God would just write in the sky, if God would make this happen or X happen, then I would know and then I would believe. And God is going, I'll do you one better. I'll send myself as a person, right, as a human being, the, the visible representation of the invisible God. And we see that Jesus has come. And then we see this here in the moment, right, because everybody right here, they're, they're mocking Jesus on the cross because they're looking at an earthly perspective, right? They're going, come down off the cross, Eliminate this pain if you're really God. Right in this moment, but God is going. Jesus is looking for something incredibly bigger than the moment that they're in right now. Verse 41. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down off the cross and he will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from now from the sixth hour, which is about noon. This is it. This is where. So the, what I just read uh, gets a little intense. But as we lean into this, I want to look at Matthew's account of the crucifixion. And this is pretty incredible in itself. And I think it's skipped over a lot as we think about Good Friday. It says now from the sixth hour, which is noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour from noon till three. It went dark. It went black here in this moment till the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in the loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatia. And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard this. This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That is wild. Can we just like stop for a moment to think about the moment? How could you stand there at the feet of this and go, no, he's not God. He's not the Messiah, right? It just went pitch black for three hours. And then as soon as he in control, let his spirit go right and died at that very moment, the rocks began to shake tombs open and people who have been dead for years were walking around the earth. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, and people began to look and the the soldiers come and we see this declaration, this one centurion, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. And they were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the son of God. I mean, amen, right? This picture of Jesus on the cross, I think sometimes we read over this, right? And we skip right to the resurrection, which is a big deal. But this right here, there's so many moments So many details that Jesus shows us that he is the son of God, that he is who he says he is. And I think here, uh, as I get ready to land the plane, but to paint a picture for you and I of, of Good Friday, why do we call it good? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did God in all of his incredible glory who can create anything? Why did he have to go to the cross? Because we see all the way back when he created human beings. In the garden, he gave human beings a choice. He says, I've created all of this, but there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want to give you a choice because love gives you a choice. If I made you do everything, would you say, yeah, Daniel loves me, right? No, a loving spirit comes beside, right? There's a there's a choice. There's this moment and God didn't want to create robots. He wanted to create human beings with emotions and true worship is when I choose to come to the feet of Jesus and I choose to worship him every single day. I give him my love and I show him my affection to him, right? And so in the garden, we see that they chose to turn away from God. Sin is rebelling against God, right? It's turning away from God and is breaking his law. And the law is the command that he has given you and I. And I think if we're honest with each other, we can read the law. We can read the Sermon on the Mount. And all of a sudden, we can just get about three verses in and go, yeah, I have fallen short, right? I've lied before. Maybe I've had this seed of hatred in my heart. Maybe I've had a lustful thought. Maybe I've had uh, all of these pieces, right? Maybe I've coveted somebody else as I've had envy. I've wanted more than what God has given me. Like all of these things, right? Like begins to weigh us. And then the, the effects of sin ultimately are death. But yet the effects of sin in the moment are shame and guilt and torment, right? Because we see even in all the way early in the garden, We see as soon as that happened, it says that they hid from God. They were walking with God in union. And as soon as sin entered the world, they hid from God because they were ashamed. They felt alone. 
And you and I have this moment where we have to wrestle with our sin. And what do we do? Because sin separates us from God. But then we see just as Barabbas, you and I, we get this picture where Jesus took on our unrighteousness. And because he was holy, because he was perfect, because he is the son of God, only a holy and pure sacrifice could be made on your behalf and my behalf for our sins, past, present and future. We see this picture, right? Because for the wages of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, he had to bring sacrifices over and over and over again each year, right? For the atonement of their sins. But Jesus says, you know what? I will take their place. I want us to think about this for a moment. Because Barabbas is here, right? Jesus is here. I want you to picture Daniel is here. You are here, right? And we have all of our sins and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And we're carrying shame. We're carrying guilt. We're carrying discouragement. We're carrying, I got to do this thing on my own. I got to willpower my life. I got to make this thing happen, right? And then Jesus on the other end, they use this big word in the Bible called the imputed sin, right? Jesus took it. I want you, all my uh, young, young people in the house, right? Right? They copied all of this, right? Cut all of this. And Jesus pasted it into his column right here, right? All of our sin took all of that. I want you to think about, now let's go back to the old school. Remember how we used to print and the paper would kind of fold it out and it had the, little, the tabs that you had to pull those pieces of paper things off. But the, if you let go of the first one, it would just go. And that paper was all connected. You could print on it for days, right? You remember that? And if I thought about every thought, every sinful thought I've had since birth, That paper, all the way out, right? And here I stand holding all of those sins. And Jesus goes, I'll take them. And we take all of those and we place them in the hands of Jesus. We place them on the shoulders of Jesus. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for every one of those sins. And here's the crazy part to see. Is not only physically does he walk through this death on the cross, but spiritually he takes on every feeling that you and I have. All those feelings that I just talked about, you felt shame, you felt guilt before. He takes all of those feelings as well and he places all of those of all humanity onto him. And he cries out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because sin of the world is on his shoulders, not just mine, but yours and everybody that has ever lived the pressure Of all of that fell into Jesus. And Jesus took all of that. And he yielded up his spirit. And he was able to set us free. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for us to take these three things. And then we're going to close together and pray. And uh, we have a time of of prayer together. And then we're going to sing a last song. But the first one is, is that Jesus took our place and paid for our sin. Jesus took our place and paid for our sin. He stood in the spot that you and I had and that so that you and I could be set free. And the second one is, is Jesus is our high priest who understands our hurts and our pains. We can go directly to Jesus. All the pain, all the emotional trauma, all everything that we have felt, all that hurt and turmoil that we have ever felt in our life. We can come before God and bring it to him because he has felt that before. The Garden of Gethsemane, he, you could feel, you could see the blood coming from his forehead because he was carrying all of that. He's not a God who is separated from us going, oh, God wouldn't understand. I can't bring that to him. He doesn't understand my loneliness. He doesn't understand my sinful thoughts. He doesn't understand my hatred. He doesn't understand. I can't bring all of those to God. 
God is going to bring them to me. I already know, right? But I want a relationship with you that you can bring all of those to me. And the last one is, this is it right here. You guys ready for this? You ready, Braxton? Yes. Yeah. Freedom is not free. It is paid for. Your freedom and my freedom and our relationship with Christ is not free. But it has been paid for on the cross for those who believe in Christ. And he says, if you will believe in me, you will then be set free and be free indeed. That's why we sing all of these songs. And I think Good Friday is a beautiful reminder for you and for me to go. Nope, my sin has been paid for because the enemy is going to come up to you and go, see, you messed up again. Look, you're not worth anything. You're alone. You should just go off alone. Nobody thinks the way that you think. Nobody can understand what you're going through. You should just sit over there by yourself. Nobody wants you in the world. Right? Because he just showers on. Romans 8, 1 says what? For there is no. That word right there. No condemnation. No condemnation. I think that needs to sit on our hearts for a moment. There is no condemnation. None. In the eyes of Christ, he's saying, I have taken all of that off of your shoulders. You don't have to carry it anymore. I can set you free. And every time the devil tries to bring it back up, you bring it back to him and go, no, Jesus paid for it. He paid for it on the cross. I am set free. I am loved. I know who I am in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for me, the world can come up to you and go, you are nothing. See, you can't even do your job right. You can't even do, get these kind of grades. You can't even hang out with the right people. You can, all of these things, and you bring it before even them. No, Jesus has already paid it for me. I'm set free in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I'm like Barabbas. I'm walking through the crowd. I can't even believe it. This is incredible. I deserve what Jesus took, and yet he took all of my sin, and he paid my debt. That's why Jesus paid it all takes on a new meaning, right? I mean, Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. I am set free. I don't deserve this. This is what Jesus has done for me. The kids in the room, when you see Mr. Allen yelling, my hands are raised and we're, we're just almost singing at the top of our lungs because Jesus has set us free. Amen. Yeah. This is kind of what I love about Good Friday, too. Because it's not the Easter crowd. It's kind of like Maudie Thursday, you know. It doesn't have to be the crowd. Jesus turned the world upside down with about a hundred faithful followers. When you look in the book of Acts, there was only about a hundred of them in the room and they were waiting on the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit hit, they changed the world. And I believe as we're sitting here today, this is an intimate moment. For us as the church, we don't need the huge crowds. We just need to be hungry for the spirit of God in our lives. We need to be rem remember what Jesus has done for us. And we're willing to proclaim his name and his goodness everywhere that we go.
But it takes us first realizing Jesus paid it all. He paid it all for me. He set me free. I need to remember that day in and day out. And we're going to talk a little bit about this on Saturday. I mean, on Sunday. We're coming back Saturday. Anyway, this is a big, I mean, this is, can be proven historically that Jesus died on the cross. And then hundreds of people saw him alive three days later. I mean, this can be even proved historically, not only historically, but you and I know when we step out in faith and declare that Jesus is Lord, and more importantly, he is our Lord, he is our Savior, then he is saying, I will forgive you of your sins. I will set you free. And so what I want to do, I just want to pray for us real quick. And uh, Jacob's going to stand up here and he's going to continue to kind of play beautifully and softly like that. But I just want to pray one for us as the church. And then what I would like to do is something a little different, but I'd like to take a moment of just about 20 seconds of silence. And maybe I know there's some uh, families in here with your kids, but maybe you just want to take a moment and, and pray with those who are sitting right next to you. This is kind of strange, but maybe uh, if your spouse is next to you, whatever it may be, or maybe you want to come up and I, I would love to pray over you, pray over your family, whatever it may be. We're just going to take those few moments, right? And if you don't have anybody, you just want to kind of take that moment just to have a moment with God and just pray to God, God, here's everything that's going on in my life. Here's everything that's weighing me down. In fact, there's a little bit of shame and guilt, maybe God, that I'm holding on to and I need to give that back to you. Dear Heavenly Father. God, we can hear these whispers, these prayers that are going out right now. God, but we know that you can hear them loud and clear. God, thank you for hearing our prayers. God, and we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would hear their prayers and that you would move on their behalf, God. I pray for each and every family in this room here today that you would stir our souls of knowing Remembering this story, God, that only you can take something which is an execution and turn it into Good Friday, Jesus. God, thank you for setting us free. Thank you for paying it all, Jesus. I pray that tonight something inside of our souls begins to stir. And no matter our age, God, if we've given our lives to you, we don't receive a baby Holy Spirit, but we receive the full measure of the goodness of God. God, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts here today. I pray that you would maybe even release some things in our heart that we've been carrying. Maybe some condemnation, some, some shame, some guilt, God. And I pray that we can lay that at your feet. I pray that tonight, maybe, there are some chains that have been broken inside of our lives and hearts, God. That maybe somebody spoke over our life and it was a lie. God, maybe it's something that the enemy keeps bringing up in our mind about our past. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, they lay it at your feet for the last time, Jesus. I'm praying that not only tonight, but this entire weekend, God, is a weekend of freedom. Where we don't pick up our grave clothes, God, because we are made new in you. We are set free in Christ. And every time we think of the cross... We think of our Savior who paid it all for us, God. Thank you, Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.